We've been in a series the last couple of weeks, maybe those of you that are new this morning, uh, you've caught it online, but if you haven't, we've been preaching out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, a verse that's not necessarily the most common Christmas passage, but I think the doctrinal truth of what we find in 1 Timothy 3 is the doctrine of what we celebrate at Christmas. And so uh, we'll put it on the screen for you. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And, th- and then Paul goes on to define what the mystery of godliness really is. He says, God was manifest in the flesh. And that's a really key statement that Paul makes, and it's really key for us to understand that when we celebrate the birth of Christ, Christ himself is God manifest in the flesh. And, and we've spent a couple of weeks leading up to, to, to this point, and, and today our, our goal is to kind of finish the verse. But listen, there, there are a couple of things that we need to take away as far as observation this morning. Number one, there are mysteries in the Bible And this is one of the seven key mysteries that God reveals for us through his word. And maybe you're newer today, or maybe you haven't been around our church long. We we, we like to just take the Bible at God's word. We come to it believingly, believing what God says in it. And and that's how anyone should really come to God's word. A mystery is something that was always there, but was hidden for a period of time. And then God reveals the mystery to a certain group of people at a certain time, in history. And if we were to go to Ephesians chapter 3, we would understand where, where again, the Apostle Paul writes and he says in, in verses 4 to 5, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, listen to this, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And, and I just want to make the point that there are mysteries in the Bible And God knew all along what he was going to do, and yet God revealed those things to his apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this mystery of godliness, God himself being manifest in the flesh. Man, it was a great mystery, but then it was revealed. And listen, we are blessed because it was revealed. It was revealed, and Christ came, and he is God in the flesh, and and, and last week, we, we, we kind of went to the book of Luke, one of the, one of the very common passages that the Christmas story is, is taught from, and we talked about how God was manifest in the flesh, and God came to this earth, firstly, through a minister and a message. And, and we went back, and, and most of us are familiar with the story in Luke's gospel, how that the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and said, uh, I got great news. Uh, you're going you're gonna to be with child, and you're going to carry and, 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 and give birth to literally the Son of God. What tremendous news. There was a, there was a message given through a minister, and then there was a miraculous birth. And, and listen, we know from the Bible that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that he was made of a woman. It was a miraculous birth. No other birth like it. No other birth like that before or since then, only happened once. It only happened once, and, and it, it was because God himself had to be born separate from man's lineage, because Romans chapter 5 says that in Adam, we all die. We, we're all sinful. We all die spiritually in our sin, and yet Christ came made of a woman, born of a virgin. He didn't have Adam's sinful lineage, his sinful blood in him. He had the very blood of God, according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. And and, and we know that this miraculous birth was accomplished 
by the power of the Holy Ghost. Because in Luke chapter 1, God tells us, and, and the Word of God tells us, that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. And the thing that was done in her was done by the power of the Holy Ghost, who, by the way, is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and all three are, are one. They are God. And so we see the, the divine work of the Trinity in the work of Jesus Christ being born in this world. And, and we saw that Christ fulfilled the Word of God through His birth. From Genesis chapter 3 to Isaiah chapter 7 to Isaiah chapter 9, there were so many scriptures that were fulfilled in Christ's earthly birth, God being manifest in the flesh. And then we even learn from the book of Hebrews that Christ was born into a body that was prepared for him. That body, that, that, that child in the manger would grow up one day and offer his body a living sacrifice for the sin of the world, a willing sacrifice. And, and listen, that, that body that was prepared was the body that contained the most precious the, the most precious thing in this world, the very blood of God, again, according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, because the blood of bulls and the blood of goats and any other animal sacrifice could never take away man's sin. But listen, what was within that child's body, that man's body, was the very blood of God. And it was through his blood that, that he shed for our sin that we can have forgiveness. And, and we know from, from last week's message that God was manifest in the, in the flesh for a very specific purpose. It was to do the will of God. It was to do God's will, to redeem mankind. And so this morning, uh, we're going to go back to that verse in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and, and we rejoice in the birth of Christ. But I want to tell you, that's not where the story ends. As a matter of fact, if there were one verse that really encapsulated the entire life and ministry and res death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ, if there were one verse in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 is it. It gives us a snapshot, an overview of his entire prophecy, birth, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension in one verse. And what a tremendous passage this is. And so let me pray real quick. And I know you're looking at the clock saying, wait a second, isn't it lunchtime? I was telling uh, one, of the, one of the volunteers in the back, I was like, I've got a 15-minute sermon or a 45-minute sermon. I can preach it either way. Now, their vote was 45 minutes, so, you know, and their vote counts more than your vote, quite honestly. Okay, so let me pray, and we're going to spend a few minutes together. I think it'll be encouraging. Father, we love you. Uh, Lord, we do need you, and I pray that you bless the reading of your word as we consider it uh, in our own heart and life. Lord, accomplish your purpose today. Uh, there may be people today that don't have a right relationship with you or don't have any relationship with you. Lord, will you introduce them to the Son of God today? Will you help them know that you love them so much? that you sent Christ to die for their sin. And, and Father, for those of us that maybe know him, Lord, will you encourage us and strengthen us to share him with other people? The greatest gift that we could ever give someone else is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Lord, Lord, meet with us. We need you. We need you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the, the verse goes on in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And that's, that's really what we tried to illustrate for you this morning. There, there's not a period after that, that. The sentence actually continues on. And the next thing that the Bible tells us is that Christ, God in the flesh, was justified in the spirit. 
And so if you want to follow along, you got notes in your seat, and, and these would be some good things to write down. The first point is this. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit. And the word justified literally means to be declared righteous or to be evidenced as righteous. In other words, the Spirit of God gave evidence that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and, and that he was righteous. That was the evidence that the Spirit gave. And you say, well, how, how, how do you know that that happened? Well, number one, we know that Jesus was justified at his birth because that was a work of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, evidence exhibited that Jesus Christ is righteous through the fact that he was born of a virgin. He wasn't born of Adam's lineage. He was made of a woman, but he's the son of God. Matthew 1 and verse 18 says that the birth of Christ was on this wise. When he was his, uh, yet his, his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And again, man, you know, what? <laughs> How does that happen? It only happens through the power of the Holy Ghost. And it, and it proves, it exhibits, it, it is evidence the fact that this child is not like any other child. He is unique because he is the Son of God being born into the flesh. Number two, Christ was justified in his ministry. And we know from Luke chapter 3 and verse 22 that at his baptism, the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And when you study Christ's ministry and his life, Listen, he did many wonderful things. His teaching, he was the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher that ever lived because he is the Word of God incarnate, the Word of God in the flesh. He didn't have stammering lips like your preacher has. Man, he got it perfect because he's the incarnate Word of God. And his ministry, listen, was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. He raised the dead. He performed miracles. He preached with authority. He preached with sound doctrine. I mean, the Spirit of God evidenced and declared, this man is righteous. He's unlike any other man that's ever walked this planet. As a matter of fact, when, when, when we, we don't have time, but I'm going to make time. When we get to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus had done a tremendous amount of miracles and teaching and preaching. And there were a group of religious people named the Pharisees that actually were critical of him and his ministry, so much so that they gave credit not to the Spirit of God for his ministry, but they gave credit to the devil himself. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 12, verses 24 and 20, through 28, it says, When the Pharisees heard of it, they, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and by the way, he knows yours too. And he saith unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, how do, you, how do your children cast them out? For they, be your, they shall be your judges. And his point was, it doesn't even make sense what you're saying. The, the devil himself is not going to cast devils out. It doesn't make sense. And, and then he goes a few verses later and he tells them by what authority... He actually did his ministry. It, it tells it in, in verse 31. And, and this is that famous passage about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And, and I'll tell you that the context of blaspheming the Holy Spirit is given when people accuse Christ's ministry of being the devil's ministry. That's the direct context of that. 
And so if you're sitting here this morning and you say, well, I'm worried I blaspheme the Holy Spirit or I blaspheme, you can't because you didn't live in Matthew chapter 12. You, you, you can't. Look at verse 31. It says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a, a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever shall speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. Here it is. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. And I just want to make the point that Christ was justified in the Spirit in his ministry. He told you in that verse that he cast out devils. He was empowered to do ministry, not only because he's God in the flesh, but because he is empowered by the Spirit of God. It evidenced, it exhibited that this man is righteous. He's the Son of God. And then, and then thirdly, listen, Christ was justified at his resurrection. He was justified as his, at his resurrection because Romans chapter 8 tells us that it's the working of the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. Romans 8 and verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. And listen, the Spirit of God, again, raising Christ from the dead. Who raised Christ from the dead? Himself, God the Father, and the Spirit of God. That's who raised Christ from the dead. It's the work of the divine trinity that, that began and ended with His resurrection. And, and I'm just telling you that, again, the Spirit of God justifies nobody does that outside of God. It's evidence that Christ is God. He's manifest in the flesh. And so, and so we, we, again, 1 Timothy 3, listen, this gives us the rest of the story. Christ was manifest in the flesh. The person of God is manifest in the flesh, but he was justified. He was declared righteous in the spirit. Thirdly, God himself was seen of angels. He was seen of angels. Actually, that's number two, I think, on your notes. He was seen of angels. And, and again, if we were to take the time, man, he was seen of angels at his birth, Luke chapter 2. The very thing that we, again, if we, if we were to dig down deep and, and we had another hour and your stomach wasn't growling right now, listen, we, we could spend another hour going through all of these references in detail, but Luke chapter 2 tells us, man, that there was a heavenly host, that there was an angel and a, and a multitude of heavenly hosts that were praising God in Luke chapter 2, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth goodwill, peace and goodwill toward men. Angels showed up when Christ, after his baptism, was tempted of the devil. Do you guys remember that story? He, he was baptized. The Bible says the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. He was tempted of the devil. Matthew chapter 4 says that the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Do you understand that those angels were created by the Son of God? And do you understand... <laughs> They are looking, they are looking upon God manifest in the flesh. Are you kidding me? I mean, they're seeing, they're seeing a weak, a weakened, tempted son of God in the flesh that has resisted the devil. And they come and they minister to their very creator. Are you kidding? 
Colossians chapter 2 tells us that even angels observed his victory over death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in them. And I just want, to, I just want you to understand that Christ's resurrection triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. It triumphed over the devil and his devils and his demons and his evil spirits. It triumphed over sin, and angels witnessed his resurrection and his victory. He openly showed it. And so God himself was seen. God, God in the flesh was seen of angels. Number three, God in the flesh was preached on in the world. He was preached to the world. And the Bible says that he's preached unto the Gentiles, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. You know, and if you, if you study your Bible, you know that the Jews all through the Old Testament had, had knowledge of God through... Moses, through the law, through the, the Ten Commandments, through the, 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 the ceremonial worship of like the book of Leviticus. You know, nobody ever reads that. You need to read it. These people had, had knowledge of God and what was required of God. And, and yet, the, the Gentiles, the, the people that were non-Jewish, the only way you really had any knowledge or access, of God in the old, access to God in the Old Testament was to become Jewish. To, to adopt the Judaistic religion that was based on the one true God. Can I just tell you, because God was manifest in the flesh, and because he gave his life, the gospel message, listen, that, that's for the whole world. Not to the Jew only, but it's to the Gentile. It's to those of us that aren't Jews, but listen, we knew not God... And God looks at this, at this entire world and he says, listen, my son and his sacrifice is sufficient not only for the nation of Israel, but it's sufficient for all men, for the entire world. And so in your notes, look, people that don't know God, what they need is preaching. What they need is preaching. People that don't, that don't know God, they need preaching. And what they need preached to them is the message of Christ. It's the message of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, we, again... <laughs> I gotta, did I tell you this could be a 45-minute sermon? In Acts chapter 5, when, when, we, when we study the early church and we study the, the disciples after Christ's resurrection and, and then his ascension, and we see them empowered with the Spirit of God, what we see them is go forth. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42, and I'll just paraphrase it, but these disciples, they were persecuted, they suffered for Christ's namesake. The Bible says they were daily in the temple and in every house, and they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. They ceased not. Why? Because people that don't know God need to experience God, and the only way they can experience God is through the preaching of Christ. Not our church, not our religion, but Christ. Man, listen, don't ever brag on your church. Brag on Christ. Don't brag on your preacher. I know you don't anyways. Brag on Christ. Because he is what lost people need. He's what lost people need. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. The Bible says Philip went down uh, to the city of Samaria. What did he do when he get there? When he got there, he preached Christ unto them. Acts chapter 9, after Saul's conversion in verse 20, the Bible says straightway after his conversion. Straightway. You don't have to have three years of discipleship to preach the gospel. All you need to do is meet Jesus. 
And Saul met Jesus on the Damascus road. He humbled himself. His life was transformed and changed forever. And straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. God, help us to get back to the fact that when we know Christ, we can preach Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17 says, Paul writes and he says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Baptism is not the gospel and the gospel is not baptism. And Paul makes a very clear distinction. He says, listen, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And, and again, what we preach, you know, you know the, the easiest message for us to share with people is that God was born. That's a real, that's a real safe message, isn't it? Because, because who, honestly, who, who doesn't like babies? Now, you don't like them when they start crying, but that's a real safe message, that God was manifest in the flesh. But can I tell you that the message that that, that child grew, became a man, was tempted, trained disciples, willingly gave his life on the cross of Calvary for our sin, was brutally mocked, beaten, murdered, and then resurrected on the third day for our sin, for our sin. Well, that message is a little more confrontational. But you know what a lost world needs? They don't, they don't need the preaching of a cradle. They need the preaching of the cross. They need the preaching of the cross. And the greatest gift that we that have experienced the forgiveness of Christ can give other people is the fact that we preach Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23 that we preach Christ crucified. Not Christ in the cradle. Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, he's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, he's foolishness. God tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 and a few verses earlier in verse 18 that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And I want to lovingly challenge you this morning that if you say, man, all this Jesus stuff is a little much, that's actually foolish. Well, God would warn you this morning that, listen, those that think it's foolishness are those that are on their way to perish. But the Bible says, unto us which are saved, unto us which are saved... The gospel is the power of God. I remember when I was 21 years old, you know, uh, and that was a minute ago. If you, you notice, I'm losing my hair and I'm all gray. I look like 95. But when I was 21, when I was 21, a young man, my best friend in college, asked me the most important question I've ever been asked. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? And listen, I grew up not necessarily in a Christian home. I had good parents and I had a moral compass and I did even believe that there was a God. I believed heaven was real, hell was real. I even believed historically the story of Jesus Christ was real. But when he asked me the question, where are you going to go for eternity when you die? I couldn't answer the question. And that guy took his Bible and showed me that we're all sinners. He preached Christ to me, that Christ died for the sin of the world, and that included me. And if I would receive what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, the crucified resurrected Christ, that I could be forgiven of my sin. And God used his Holy Spirit to make me realize at the age of 21, that's not a foolish message, I need that message. Because I realized, I, I realized my standing before God, I, I put my faith and trust in Christ. Not because of my goodness, but because of 
Christ's goodness. Not because of my works, but because of what he did. I put my faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. I believed on him. Which is actually the next point. Because, because if we go back to the First Timothy 3 verse, it says that God was manifest in the flesh. He was preached on in the world. And he was believed on in the world. You see, you see the preaching of the cross... The preaching of the cross is the opportunity for you and I to put our faith and trust in Christ. In other words, it demands a response. You either believe on it or you reject it. And I'm telling you, listen, it's the best deal going. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, the Spirit of God that seals you, the Word of God that guides you, the body of Christ that fellowships with you. Man, if I listed off all the advantages, you would be foolish. But can I just tell you, even if you don't know the advantages... The fact that your sin is paid for is reason enough. It's reason enough. Listen, listen. it's reason enough to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Romans 10 and verse 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and many of us in this room understand that. But it also goes on and it says, How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And can I tell you, listen, you know, I was 21 years old. I was in college, uh, still playing a little bit of sports, doing all this thing. The, the, the friend of mine that led me to Christ, that shared the gospel with me, we're both, you know, basketball players and things like that. I came to learn a little bit later that dude had beautiful feet. Not because he was an athlete, not because, you know, he was a good-looking guy. He had beautiful feet because he brought the greatest message in the world to me. Amen. He cared enough about me to ask the right questions and to present and preach Christ to me. You see, you see, the gospel stands alone, but it does demand a response. And the response is either to believe on or to reject what Christ has done. And in your notes, again, because I know that you got plans after this, but, but let me just tell you, you've got a ton of references in the book of John. Can I tell you that John's gospel in your Bible is given so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? As a matter of fact, he says so. The purpose of John's gospel, according to John 20 and verse 30, John himself writes and he says, Many other things truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written... So you have a historical record of Jesus' ministry. That's not what it says. These are written that you might believe. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Listen, and that believing you might have life through his name. John 1 and verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And we could go on and on and on and on. People believed on Jesus Christ for their salvation, to save them from their sin. You know, I told you when I was a kid and, and a young adult that, that I believed heaven was real, hell was real, God was real, Christ was real. I believed that was real, but I never connected the dots of how that applied to my life personally. And I was a lot like what's mentioned in James chapter 2. I want you to understand that not everyone who believes in God has believed on God. 
and, and we have to examine our life and say, man, have I really believed on God for my salvation? Have, have I put my faith and trust on Christ to save me from my sin? You know, the Bible says in James chapter 2 and verse 19, thou believest that there is one God. James writes and he says, okay, you believe there's God, there's a God. You're not agnostic or atheist. Okay, he says, you do well. But then he says, the devils also believe and tremble. So the devils believe that there's one true God, but none of them are saved. None of them are eternally secure in Christ. By the way, devils aren't atheist or agnostic. They're not atheist or agnostic. They're believers in Christ, but they've never believed on Christ. They can't. And listen, the question on the table for all of us is, have you believed on Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him for your forgiveness and for your salvation? You say, well, I believe the story. I believe the history. I'm a lot like you, Jay. Can I just tell you that although I believe those things, I was not saved because I never reconciled my sin and Christ's finished work and how his finished work applied to my life by faith. I never reconciled that. Not everyone who believes in God has believed on God, and, and you want to believe on God to save you from your sin. Well, the story ends in, in, in point number five, and, and then we'll done, we're done. Listen, the end of the story is the fact that God, this God that was manifest in the flesh, Christ himself, was received up into glory. He was received up into glory, and after his earthly ministry, and after his death, burial, and resurrection, after his payment for our sin, the Bible says that he did resurrect. He came out of that tomb. He spent 40 days with his disciples, and in Acts chapter 1, after he teaches them for a period of 40 days, and he instructs them, he says in verse 8, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven, the same Jesus, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And I just want to close with the fact that, listen, Christ, God manifest in the flesh, was received up into glory. But even that's not the end of the story. Because the end of that verse says he's coming again. He's coming again. And the question on the table for all of us is, are we ready? Are we ready? Has 2020 been a tough year for some folks in this room? Can I, can I just tell you, it's been, a, it's been a pretty tough year. And I don't know about you, but man, I've, I've, uh, I've experienced some, some personal tragedy and heartache in our family. We've had people that, that went home to be with the Lord a lot sooner than what we thought they would. They would. We had people that, that have been sick and, and man, listen, God is in control, but I'm just telling you, listen, this, if this year has proven anything, it's that life is short and life is uncertain. Life is short and life is uncertain. And listen, the day to prepare for eternity is not tomorrow. The day to prepare for eternity is today. And, and the question is, listen, have you believed on Christ for your salvation? Have, have you put your faith and trust in him? 
I wouldn't want to walk out today. And, and again, I know we're, we're a Christmas program and, and we're here for the kids and all that stuff. But listen, the greatest message that any of us could hear is the message of the crucified Christ. And if we're not sure of our eternal security, if we're not sure of eternal life, if we're not sure of forgiveness of our sin, today is the day that we can respond in belief. Not doubt, not criticism, but belief that God is who he said he is. That God will forgive us through Christ Jesus and through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And I want to extend that invitation to you. So would you bow your heads as we, as we get ready to dismiss. Father, we love you. Uh, I do thank you for your...